the things that I thought were really profound or important in terms of art or media, I'm just like, well, <laughs> none of this really captures, you know, any of the feelings that I am having. Uh, even though, you know, I am filled with dread. <laughs> yeah, no, same. It, yeah, it's that should that that will make for some interesting artifacts in the future. But uh, <laughs> but that's all right because. Um, you uh, you asked me to watch Swallow, and uh, I I had all of these different feelings uh, and experiences watching it. Um, but at no time did I feel like I was watching um, a horror movie, uh, except I think in the very the extremely graphic uh, scenes where she's e eating things. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I felt a, a tinge of horror and I realized that that made it a horror movie, um, mm -hmm. for me. Um, and I, you know, and, and I almost, you can almost take this movie and hold it up as a, as a, as a, a paradigm example of what you can, you can call a horror movie. Um, even though so many other parts of it, uh, are, are dancing other, uh, genre does that make sense yeah absolutely um, uh i tend to define horror as um and obviously i'm stealing this from an academic but uh <laughs> as a mixture of um fear and revulsion you know i was never like personally afraid during that movie sure no yeah so really just revulsion but it there's a lot of revulsion and it is I, th I think her stress, the main character's sort of stress and, and fear is... The psychological like horror. Yeah. It was very well evoked for me. Mm -hmm. um, like, especially as a person who had, like, you know, been pregnant before and then sort of acutely become aware um, of, the, of how that can create, like, economic and power imbalances in a relationship. And I was just like, oh, this... This poor mm -hmm. girl. Like the whole, no. whole movie. Okay, so like, now so, so now I'm her. correcting myself. Um the horror was what were elements of what if we want to get really technical, we would call psychological thriller almost. Um and Definitely. and and to me, those were the elements of her of of uh this this douchebag's family. Uh mm -hmm. and uh him and you know and his family i mean his you know his abusive nature comes out i uh, you know maybe about a third to halfway through uh the film it seems like um mm -hmm. uh but be even before then uh you know her her in-laws uh her fabulously wealthy very business oriented trump like in-laws um but uh, but i'm getting ahead of myself um but but i wanted to i was going to say i always like to like when we did Lighthouse, my, the joke I wanted to tell you, you know, was thank you for referring to me that to that Old Spice commercial, um, and uh, and I had, you know, and I and you recommended Street Trash, which I had some things to say about as well. Um, and then, so for this one, yeah. So for this movie, I was I was I was going to say thank you for uh, uh, referring me to this Lifetime movie. I didn't realize that Lifetime still. Uh, um, but, but, you know, that was, I, I chose not to use that line, except in this ironic way of saying I was going to use the line. Um, I mean, it's like, um, it's like if, if, uh, if life, if, uh, 
what is it called? Lifetime. Yeah. If Lifetime took the turn that like Teen Vogue has taken. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> then this is like the, the like pinnacle of <laughs> Lifetime, like, like introspective uh, horror thriller. Um, My partner asked me if, if she should watch it with me and I, uh, knowing her, um, said, you may not want to. Um, sure. just for the, I think that, you know, she probably would have liked the rest of it, but I think, um, I, you know, I had to, I had to turn away, uh, you know, uh, during some of the swallowing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, wow. and I thought about how, um, I thought about your fascination with, uh, and, and your, uh, um, theorizing of body horror um, as something that is, you know, not, is uh, in some ways uh, terrifying because of how real it can be. Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and obviously this is a movie about uh, a disorder. And I guess we should, I guess we can jump right into this. Uh, and, sure. and I'll give like sort of the, the ridiculous preliminaries. Um, but it's a, a 2019 uh, movie directed by Carl Mirabella Davis, um, who has directed and produced across several different genres, but he made a, a 2009 short called Knife Point um, that uh, I had never heard of, but I just read about it. Um, Haley Bennett is the lead uh, in uh -huh. the movie. Um, and I don't know if you have any, if you feel free to throw in anything you know about these, these people. I, I know nothing about them except that Haley Bennett looks like, like I'm, I still believe that she is Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, sure. Like I, I watched a movie starring Jennifer Lawrence with like a different haircut. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah. Well, she no, has I, a very, she she's very, has a very distinct look in that movie and she's, I think looks, uh, you know, looks the character really well in Swallow. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't do a ton of research into it, actually. I just uh, threw it on. It's about pica. That's, um, so that is a m sort of uh, categorical term for all compulsions to eat the inedible. If you sure, look at the Wikipedia page of, uh, of <laughs> pica, um, what you will see is that there are also specific terms for a lot of different categories of yes. things that you uh, that one might be compelled to eat, and uh, Haley Bennett's character is has multiple of those disorders. Sorry, no problem. <laughs> I was getting up and moving around, and That's then okay. I lost, uh, you know, my what I what I was planning on saying. That's all right. That's all right. So, what did you think? Uh, did you like this movie? Uh, I thought so much of it. I thought so much of it. So here, here's what I thought. Um, I'm really glad I watched it because uh, I feel like the, um, the recommendations uh, that I get from you are uh, always extremely relevant um, and make a lot of good arguments or sort of introduce a lot of good arguments about uh, not just capitalism, but I think about sort of interpersonal uh, uh, relationships in capitalism, whether that's between a, a, a worker and a shitty boss or mm -hmm. between a bunch of the subaltern uh, or in this instance, uh, this person in this uh, who 
is dependent on this very privileged uh, situation and this very privileged life. Um, and with people, as I said earlier, acting exactly the role. Uh, and and I, I, I do love the fact that they were acting exactly the role and were so over the top uh, about it. You know, very Brechtian, I think, uh, very mm -hmm. uh, self-consciously melodramatic about what the backdrop was. Um, so that's one thing I thought. Another thing I thought was that it was several different stories. Um, and uh, so it almost could have been like a, a mini series, uh, except that people might have been too terrified and revulsed uh, to sit through like three episodes of it or something, you know, but oh, you yeah. had, you know, you had her relationship with her, her in-laws and her family, her new family. Um, you had uh, the, uh, the, the nurse guy from Syria. Mm -hmm. There was some incongruence about how different things played out. So you've got that, and then you've got her, um, uh, her describing her relationship with her real father, who uh, mm -hmm. you know, she, was, uh, she was conceived in, in an uh, act of rape. Um, and mm -hmm. then she, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if we care about spoilers at this point. It's, an, it's you know, sure. over a year old, um, but I think, but... Uh, uh, but, um, you know, she ends up finding him and that's a very different, there's a very different um, uh, vibe going on in that part of the movie, I think. Um, and, oh, yeah. and so there's all these different things. The last thing I want to say about it, and this might seem really weird to you, um, is uh, that there are all of these parts of it that are sort of gentle uh, and sort of there's, so for all of the, sort of isolation and suffering and also the uh the in the acts of self-harm um mm -hmm. that are occurring in the movie in this very terrifying way um there are also these moments of personal connection uh and oh, yeah. one of them um is when uh nurse guy uh you know puts his arm around her when she's having this you know terrible uh crisis uh, mm -hmm. and you know he is tries to be there with her and then of course he ends up uh, facilitating her um, her escape which was a very melodramatic escape there's these <laughs> injections of melodrama um, into the movie um, and there are other there are similar moments uh, moments with her shrink uh, and mm -hmm. uh, and and I think you know and and I think ultimately with uh, you know with her father uh, with her biological father um, that mm -hmm. are poignant and sort of can and and sort of not horror there I mean there are these moments of connection there are these moments of reassurance almost um, so that's that's what I had to say about it and uh, that you know in terms of capturing that subjective uh, compulsion of self-harm uh, it is mm -hmm. it was the most striking and kind of terrifying and revolting um, uh, dramatization that I have ever seen of that. So that's, oh, what, I, that's yeah. what I've got to say. So you <laughs> go with it. <laughs> so had you ever heard of this um, disorder before of pica or pica? I had not heard it termed that. Um, and I mm -hmm. don't know that I had ever self-consciously contemplated it. I swallowed a few marbles when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> uh and I ate paper when mm -hmm. I was a kid. Um, and the, the paper eating in particular is listed as a, 
a unique and separate category. As I said, there are all these separate categories and paper is, is one of them, um, which is weird because paper is, you know, kind of somewhat organic material. Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, you know, we could talk about that, but I had no, no, but no, that, that was a really uh, uh, convoluted way of saying, no, I had not heard of it per se. Sure. So as a fellow paper eater, uh, <laughs> I was sort of generally aware of the concept of, you know, eating things that aren't food until I was pregnant with my first child. And because I'm me, started looking into all of the complaints and disorders that can afflict a person uh, who is pregnant um, and came across that and was like, oh, yeah, OK, sure. Uh, the explanation that's generally given medically is, and I think that they touch on this, you know, in this really interesting way in the, in the movie, um, is that you, you need more vitamins or you're deficient in iron or, you know, calcium or some kind of mineral and your body has this compulsion to consume like dirt or chalk or something that isn't food, but would presumably give you uh, you know, access to minerals. Although, uh, I think that there are also some studies calling that theory into question. So I think in this movie, the way that it's pre presented as a disorder is casts like a really, uh, bright light on the medicalization and like disordering of a lot of pretty normal or I mean, maybe predictable or natural reactions that people have to situations and environments that they're in. Right. At one point when, uh, when the main character is talking to her psychiatrist, she says that she likes to swallow the objects because she likes the way that they feel, like sure. she likes the textures, which right. I thought was just like, I thought about it for days. Um, I feel like, sh like the main character, uh, I should look, I should look up her name real quick. Uh, her name is Hunter. That's correct. I've got the, uh, I've got a synopsis in front of me, but I, I had to pull it. Oh, up. great. Yeah. Uh, so Hunter is completely, I think, objectified, um, by her in-laws, by her husband, um, and Honestly, probably if we go back into her, her, you know, natal family backstory kind of by them um, to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, I, I almost feel like, like he calls his family and says we're pregnant. It's not even, you know, she doesn't even have her own identity in the, in the form of like being the, the person who is pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, she's really just there to like be beautiful and have a baby. And there, there's no question. And uh, there are several scenes where that's made clear by mm -hmm. the way that the three of them treat her. Um, but even, and, and as I, and as I said, even though those are represented, I think in some ways is really over the top and obvious, uh, I feel like they are still authentic moments. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. I, from maybe a different identity perspective, I didn't really find it like particularly cartoonish or over the top. I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> but that, that's fair. <laughs> uh, 
I about halfway through the movie when she, you know, says this thing about liking the textures, I started to think about her manifestation of this disorder in the context of um, other eating disorders and the way that I view those as pretty predictable or natural reactions to environmental stimuli. Um, you know, even though things like anorexia and bulimia are labeled disorders um, and they're medicalized and they're individualized, I, I don't share that perspective um, with, I guess, the psychiatric establishment. Um, you know, I think that, they, that in many cases, uh, eating disorders are like, yeah, of course, people are going to have eating disorders look around. You know, um, I think it's really sort of bizarre that we, you know, I, I'll hear people talk about someone who's anorexic and say like, oh, she needs to eat a sandwich. Uh, like, okay. Um, it's not really her problem. Uh, or it's not, not, not so much this individual person's fault as it is a totally predictable symptom. Um, and I think that while it's not necessarily the case with, um, you know, non-dramatized non manifestations of pica. Um, I think in this movie, it's almost a parallel that she has no control over her body except to be a vessel for this infant, basically. Right. And in the same way that, for instance, people who, you know, gain obsessive control over their weight regain some control over their bodies, um, she's almost like tearing herself apart from the inside. All the things that she's swallowing, especially early on, are, are really hard. They're cold, glass or metal. Um, the, the exact opposite of a womb. The social function of <laughs> Lifetime movies and uh, when I was growing up, they were uh, ABC after school specials. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were, you know, here, this is all about anorexia, and this is all about bulimia, and this is all about cutting, and this is all about, you know, and it's sort of these mm -hmm. dramatizations, and they're typically in the context of a family, um, mm -hmm. and they have a certain picture of family dysfunctionality, but also very normative uh, kind of focus on functionality of the family, and it is the family that intervenes typically in these uh, in these movies and in these after-school specials uh, to mm -hmm. save uh, the individual. And so I think in that sense, uh, I don't know if this was intentional, uh, but in that sense that this was a, uh, a, a, a twisted sort of distortion uh, mm -hmm. of that type of family intervention. Uh, and, the, and, that, and the intervention was absolutely part of the psychological horror. Oh yeah, absolutely. The but you know, you have this stifling existence in this basically, you know, glass gilded cage uh where you have a a job to do that relies on on producing a child. Um and you start reacting to that in a way that is compulsive. Um and you know, looks out of control and the response from the people in your life is to just further enact like more a more oppressive uh mini dictatorship on her like i love when the the mother is the the mother-in-law is like making her juice in the kitchen and mm -hmm. it's just like 
we have to, you know, we have to take care of you. We have to take care of this baby. Uh, and I lost where I was going, but, uh, you know, basically the, the, the more she struggles, like the tighter that fist gets. So then where does her, you know, the, the sort of last, uh, section, you know, last, uh, 25, 30% of the film, where did, what, what happens there that is in, in your mind, either a resolution or a conscious non-resolution of, uh, of the rest of the film meeting her biological father and confronting him does, uh, provide a lot of closure and, uh, and cleansing, which is ultimately manifest in, Mm -hmm. the, uh, in, in, um, aborting the, you know, the, the fetus, but, um, but how is that an answer to the first part of the movie in your mind? You know, I'm not sure that it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, I guess from a narrative perspective, I'm like thrilled that she escapes and, uh, you know, does what she wants with her body. Um, but I, you know, I don't, I don't know that they make a, com a neatly tied, you know, picture so much as it's just a, a, you know, piece of art that brings up a million different little questions about autonomy and reproduction. I, I, I really found it interesting that she asked her father, you know, am I like you? I, I was just like blown away because I didn't really get a sense through the rest of the movie that she was that that was a worry <laughs> of hers um well that and that's and that's why i'm that's why i was struck by it it is a it, it does it it does seem i don't want to say uncaused or whole cloth but mm -hmm. you're right these are vignettes or kind of you know different chapters in this uh story about her and they're not necessarily neatly tied together yeah well i mean nothing nothing really is um you know in, in reality there wouldn't necessarily be a a clean uncomplicated resolution to this scenario um because it is some of the most deeply complicated subject material that you know we could talk about but i think it's i think it's also interesting for the audience maybe to kind of learn hunter's concerns or motivations or some of them that late in the film because it throws a lot of her previous decisions and previous behavior into like wait a second was this on her mind the whole time that like mm -hmm. she might secretly be um you know a a criminal she might secretly be a bad person um because it's been conferred genetically. Um, and, it, and then she's reassured, you know, by this guy that no, she's not, uh, and seems to genuinely be reassured. So while I have, I had, I don't know, maybe a more simple reading of what may be going on internally with Hunter um, when she, you know, asked her father that question, uh, it complicated the entire rest of, of the movie. And I honestly need to go back and watch it a second time knowing, knowing that. Well, I have no problem with movies that are not neatly tied together. Um, and uh, I think that as you 
you know, I agree that um, it's really her story. Um, and uh, she also explains um, where, you know, how she ends up in the, in the story in the first place. Uh, you know, she offers an account on a couple of, in a couple of different ways about how she's supposed to sort of consider herself lucky uh, to mm -hmm. be, to have been rescued um, by this, uh, um, by this Manhattan corporate family. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, she had been, I think, working class, you know, she worked at a, um, like a Bath and Body Works or something. Yeah. Something and, like uh, that. You know, then met this, I don't know, big jaw schmuck, uh, who spirited her Richie. away. And yeah. Yeah. His name is literally Richie. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> to uh you know go be a domestic laborer for the rest of her life and that's yeah that's supposed to be uh a rescue and not an imprisonment you know in terms of his behavior um which just you know kind of slowly escalates into full-blown violent abusiveness as a mm -hmm. as a human um uh the way in which in the in the midst of that uh still being capable of uh sort of this this tenderness and this sort of tender intimacy uh with her in these you know in certain parts of it and then you know turning mm -hmm. around being kind of monstrous uh and then you know you get to see his father i mean his father is a central character in the film and and mm -hmm. uh and so you get to see how that is reproduced uh and how it is tied into uh, the political economy of family aristocracy uh, kind of life um, mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, for the, uh, the 0.1%. Yeah. Um, uh, and the way that that is tied up into interpersonal abuse, um, abusiveness, you know, is something that you see uh, in uh, a lot of examples of those, you know, of, of those types of, of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, so again, that, um, you know, me watching that and, and, you know, kind of understanding something about uh, uh, how interpersonal violence is passed on um, is, uh, you know, that also seemed very natural, even though one might look at it as abrupt. Um, and so I think there's, I mm -hmm. feel like there's a lot of that in the movie and it sort of catches you off guard. Yeah, there uh there absolutely is i also i really like his uh richie's friend who insists on getting a hug uh from oh, yeah. hunter at one point I, I you know i just he was like well i'm lonely and you know you're here so just give me a hug uh and it's almost like part of her her duty as richie's wife i guess to also console his friends uh you know she folds into the tenderness of it and mm -hmm. gets something out of it in the end then says thank you to him and i was going to say that was one of those instances those two or three instances of of uh abrupt tenderness <laughs> that made that kind of slink their way in and out of the film throughout the course of the film yeah uh, I, th I think I thought it was very, I thought it was very realistic. I thought it was very evocative of, um, you know, different experiences that I've had or that I've heard about. And 
I mean, I was kind of blown away by it, honestly. <laughs> That's cool. Well, no, I mean, it was a really good recommendation because it's so, it, it is such a unique film. It is. It really so is. I'm, I'm excited to see, um, you know, if this uh, writer and director goes, you know, anywhere else, uh, makes any more cool pictures. There really is a connection in my mind between the two films um, that we're talking about oh on this episode, but it may take some hiking uh, to get there. Uh, okay. uh, or we might have to hire uh, a mentally unstable uh, <laughs> um, but the so the other film is uh, the my recommendation uh, that Casey would watch was uh, Another Evil, um, which is a 2016 uh, film um, by uh, directed by Carson Mel, who's actually a screenwriter. Uh, this is the only film I think ah. that, that they have directed. Uh, a screenwriter mm -hmm. for Silicon Valley, uh, a, a show called Silicon Valley, and then also a web series. A, uh, that is called Tarantula that I think has been picked up on oh, wow. Google, um, as well. I don't know anything about those films. I also don't know a lot about the actors or didn't know a lot about the actors. Now, Steve Zissis, uh, I mm -hmm. feel like I've seen him in like 10 movies and it turns out I haven't seen him in any movies. He's in the office. So he plays Dan. He's the, the artist guy, uh, the straight mm -hmm. guy, uh, straight man in the comedy routine. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, 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 had, actually had not seen him in anything. So he had a very familiar face, but he's an actor and screenwriter. And then Mark Proch, and I think I'm saying his name right. Um, yeah. Uh, or Proch. Uh, or, who, I have uh, no idea. But. Uh, who's from uh, Onalaska, Wisconsin, which I've been to Onalaska, Wisconsin. Um, uh, oh, wow. I'd never seen him before. Uh, and he plays oh. Oz. Uh, and I really liked him. Uh, so as an actor. Do you not watch Better Call Saul? No, I do not. And and I, one of the first things I learned about him learned about him was that he was in Better Call Saul. He is, and he is a wonderful addition to the show. The character that he plays is like this terribly awkward um, mm. nerd, like just complete nerd, uh, who gets like caught up in the the seedy underworld and like continues to be just a hugely awkward nerd. And it provides for some you know comic relief as well as advancing the plot. And he's just really great he seems to yeah he 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 seems to uh exude a very strong presence um mm -hmm. and uh and in a very awkward way uh which just makes him perfect um so so the premise is uh i mean it's a com so this is a comedy a horror comedy uh and again <laughs> what makes it a horror movie um but i mean there are real ghosts in it it is there a are movie. real uh, it is a ghost story. Um, uh, so, so Oz is hired by Dan to uh, exorcise ghosts from their uh, summer cabin uh, where mm -hmm. Dan wants to do his art. And Dan has already, uh, you know, Dan and his, uh, his partner um, have already uh, uh, hired one person uh, to come and see if there were ghosts there. This person says, yes, there are ghosts and they're cool. You shouldn't get rid of them. Um, but uh, yeah. they seem to be, they, they manifest in, in ways that are definitely uh, scary uh, and, somewhat, oh, yeah, uh, and, and somewhat, you know, feeling like they are threatening presences. There's blood on mm. them and, and, and on these ghosts and they do things that are weird and, and somewhat violent or feel violent to, uh, to this family. Um, and so 
and this initial <laughs> ghost chaser seems like a weirdo. Uh, and so they end up hiring uh, uh, this guy, uh, Oz. And uh, Oz is uh, just over the course of the film becomes incredibly over the top in all of these ways that ultimately become very threatening. Uh, but it's pretty hilarious and pretty human uh, along the way in these really kind of fun mm -hmm. ways. So what did you yeah. think of it? Uh, I loved it. I actually was surprised by how much I liked it. Um, I like horror comedies, but I think that they are hard to do well. Um, I think they can like, you know, end up being neither funny nor scary exactly uh, yeah I, I thought that this movie was hysterical um and i thought that the moments of you know the jumps there are a couple of like jump scares um which both uh you know there's like two or three but caught me caught me off guard and then made me pause because i wanted to see the prosthetics <laughs> and what exactly was you know was being depicted because they're very fast it's clear that they're very scary you know, but you don't necessarily know what's going on. Um, mm -hmm, but that's mm -hmm. not really what's scary about the film. Like it's the, I mean, uh, Mark, Mark Proch, uh, is scary in his, uh, sort of very slow, subtle descent into holding the entire family hostage, uh, in an attempt to, uh, kill the, uh, main character's son. Uh, who he be becomes convinced is possessed. Uh, yeah, Jazz. Uh, sorry, my <laughs> my muter was on. Um, yeah, oh. uh, and that's and you know and that that definitely is, you know I think the the intensity of that and still maintaining I think a lot of the humor um, of his mm -hmm. character um, was uh, was done um, particularly well. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? I mean, there are parts uh, toward the end when he's really lost it, and he's like threatening the kid with the um, with the playing with like the naked lady playing cards, uh, where it's just both like hilarious and like holy shit, this guy's really uh, fucking crazy. This is really scary um, or really unsettling. Um, unsettling is definitely a good word uh, for yeah, it. Yeah, he. I mean, every second of him is unsettling like it's but, so but we have been in situations with people right where <laughs> you're trying to end the meeting or you're trying to end the uh the friendship or you're trying to end the you know whatever it is that's going on or trying mm -hmm. to create space between you and this other person and have experienced these moments uh where you begin to doubt your ability to be able to shake this person off or be able to create distance between yourself and a person. And of course that can range from mildly irritating to extremely irritating to kind of scary to, uh, yeah. or to terrifying. Um, and I think that in that part of the movie, that sequence um, that ultimately culminates in him, you know, holding the family hostage, um, is all of those moments, all of those moments that you can recognize having been there in some analogous way, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. This like, well, luckily this will be over soon, you know, because this person's like irritating, but it's not a big deal to, uh, okay, I'm going to start like making sort of like little cues that like maybe this is 
this conversation's weird or it's gone on too long to being like, no, I, le I really need you to actually leave. And then somebody just not leaving, uh, which is, you know, can be like a desperately terrifying situation. A couple of other things that I, I had mentioned that this is a ghost story. The ghosts turn out to be benevolent in this instance. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that that's interesting. Uh, um, the other thing to me that was interesting was the way in which Dan and Oz are both frauds in some sense. Uh, and sure. that Dan sort of, one of the ways in which he is lured into or walks into uh, an ill-fated, uh, you know, kind of uh, burgeoning friendship with Oz mm -hmm. is uh, he makes this confession in the middle of the film uh, uh, that his art is kind of, uh, while not fraudulent, um, it sort of has been uh, overhyped. Right, his own firing that, story yeah, is yeah, it, something it, he made up because he was like hungover or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that he has sort of had to, been sort of forced to uh, buy into the hype and, and end up, you know, kind of uh, being a mm -hmm. hype monger for his own, um, <laughs> you know, for his, his own uh, work, uh, mm -hmm. which is, you know, very much like what Oz is doing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, so they bought, they bond over being, over basically living, living lies, uh, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know. I think that's something that a lot of people experience, maybe not on this, maybe not my whole, you know, life is a lie, but you, you know, someone confesses something to you, you confess something, you know, personal or embarrassing or confusing or something to them. And then all of a sudden you have this, like, all of a sudden they have something on you. They have a little bit of power over you. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, yeah, it's, it's like a dreadful moment. Dread is, I think a great, like, is a great piece of that pie there's dread and then there's this sort of um you know uh this sort of feeling like you're stuck in the lie that you have perpetrated for yourself um because of material necessity uh because mm -hmm. that's you know the key for you to be able to do the work that you do or to be able to pay the bills uh, so I think that, you know, that's, that's part of the story. Also, I think that, that, that not only uh, do Dan and Oz lack credibility in a way or sort of confess to a lack of credibility or a lack of credibility is revealed or whatever, mm -hmm. um, but there are all these other characters in the film or many of the other characters in the film lack credibility too. The, the other ghost hunter, even though they were right <laughs> about the benevolence of the spirits, you know, immediately, yeah. uh, you know, does, wants to do uh, a cleanse uh, on yeah. the characters <laughs> and does all, of, yeah, does all of this new age, you know, kind of stuff. Um, and then the, uh, at one point, Oz calls a priest uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, and he earlier, he refers to a priest's curse. Uh, and so there is yeah. some rogue priest running around uh, in the background of this movie that we never see, uh, who is uh, also uh, mongering fraudulent or uh, dubious <laughs> authority uh, as well. Uh, and yeah. so it's, so there's, it, and it reminds me of, you know, similar non-horror films where, uh, you know, that are sort of, locked or sort of focused on 
these different aspects of bourgeois life um, mm-hmm. that are where everyone is sort of a fraud. Everyone is, is there, sort of, there's a universal crisis of legitimacy. Right. None of us have meaningful jobs. So we have these, like these nonsense things that we've invented and nobody has any actual authority. Um, I mean, you know, Dan paints these, these paintings that he just kind of thought looked cool at first, but, you know, he's made up a moving explanation for both of these, you know, ghost hunters seem to lack credibility in any, uh, you know, they're both attempting sort of to obtain credibility uh, in different ways. Uh, or everybody in the movie anyway, is attempting to manifest credibility uh, and manifest, you know, a sense of normalcy and authority. Um, Oz and is going through a divorce uh, oh, during the movie. <laughs> He's going through a divorce via phone and, uh, and it has emasculated him in some mm-hmm. way. And he is seeking to reinvigorate his, you know, man, manliness and legitimacy um, by being this badass ghost hunter. Yeah, I loved what they did with his characterization. Um, his whole, like, I don't know, kind of borderline, um, who's the guy that sells, like, tactical baths? Um, Stones, <laughs> you know? Like, just borderline, like, you've got to always, like, be armed when you leave your house and have all your, like, tactical shit so that everybody mm-hmm. knows you're a tough guy. Uh, like, I think they, they walked pretty close up to that with him. Like, it's not, it's not like, on the nose. Uh, no, it's, but done, I, it's, it's hilarious, though, because it is that guy, in a way. Oh, yeah. Uh, or that guy is part of him. Um, uh, you know, and that's, you know, again, you know, often masculinized, um, Mm -hmm. but a very familiar archetype of a character who, uh, is obsessed with, uh, you know, who, or, or who has, you know, is, is, uh, is obsessed with the desire to be, uh, to speak a particular, uh, cant and lore of their Mm -hmm. profession, um, that has to do often with combat and ha- often ha- you know, has to do with combat and weaponry and, and that kind of thing. Sure. And it's, I think it's especially convenient if you're hunting ghosts, um, you know, assuming, just depending on which reality we're in and how dangerous ghosts have the potential to be. But, you know, if you're constructing yourself as like a ghost hunter who does not actually appear by the end of the movie to have any ability to catch ghosts whatsoever uh, yeah yeah he's he's like you know a go- being a ghost hunter isn't necessarily a real thing but this guy's like not even a real ghost hunter um although i probably shouldn't say that being a ghost hunter is not a real thing because it's a totally legitimate expression um but exactly. you know he's basically purchased uh his like toughness he's you know he's purchased the entirety of his toughness by like wearing a cowboy hat, <laughs> you know, and uh, his, like, silly gloves and stuff. Uh, it's, you know, just another example of people trying to purchase an identity uh, in a world in which we, you know, 
no longer necessarily have meaningful identities. I think it seemed like a lot of fun uh, creating all of those devices too. And oh, yeah. knowing all along that they were all nonsensical devices, um, but the, you know, the, the sort of Rube Goldberg contraptionness of some of what he was doing, uh, I thought must have been an enjoyable uh, part of the, uh, of the uh, content, uh, producing that content. Oh, yeah, he's almost doing a send up of like Bill Murray in the original Ghostbusters, when Bill Murray is being like the worst expression of Venkman and he's in like Dana's apartment, like fucking with the piano and pretending to be cool. Like, right. This, uh, like Oz's entire character is based on like that part of that movie of Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, uh, at first, uh, Dan kind of falls for all of it because he doesn't know any better. Um, and they're, you know, it's so elaborate. Everything is so elaborate and so exclusive you know the knowledge mm-hmm. that is so specific and exclusive and and elaborate that you know dan sort of follows for fa- falls for the uh the kind of uh, of of techne of it mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah he's uh definitely taken in by the uh the showmanship <laughs> that's being put in um and then you know at some point he just can't get rid of this guy because first of, you know, social norms. Um, and then because he literally won't leave uh, and takes, you know, takes them hostage. Have you seen Creep? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, I think that this movie is, there's some, some things about it that are very similar in that it is a movie about a relatively, uh, you know, quote unquote, normal, uh, nice, you know, bearded guy. Uh, who gets twisted up in a situation with a person who seems like maybe a little strange at first, but is, you know, nice and and through just not wanting to be rude, basically ends up in a, in an increasingly scary situation. And I thought that that, uh, it's an, it's an interesting emergence in horror, I guess, that um, social situations themselves can be so awkward that they become horrifying i think it's important to say with both of these movies that um you know these were not major releases um and uh the how i guess just how important it is um that uh you know these are not you know i i don't know that either of them could have been sold uh at that level um but i'm so glad that they're that they were made i also want to note that neither of us have seen mother Right. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and I feel like I don't need to um, because I n- understand now what it's a parable of. And I, I'm terrible with that. It's like, oh, that's a parable mm-hmm. of that. I don't need, therefore, I don't need to experience the film um, because sure. I know what it's about. See how smart I am? Um, you know, <laughs> I kind of feel this a similar way with <laughs> Centipede as we talked about uh, earlier. Yeah. Uh, that uh, uh, it's like I, uh, I, I saw the original uh, version of that, which was called Society, and it was much better. Uh, right. It was, I it was good. To, I, I don't know. I haven't seen the Human Centipede series, but uh, um, but I'm just, I'm assuming that everything you need to know about it, you already know about it. So, 
uh, I don't want to see the human centipede. It's one of the one of the few horror movies I've really put my foot down on and said, not going there. But the world of horror is vast. I really want to talk about at some point a movie called The Void. Okay. And a movie called Last Shift. So I haven't seen Color Out of Space yet, even though I've listened to almost every episode of uh, the H.P. Lovecraft literary podcast, have read <laughs> Color Out of Space, have read the annotated version of Color Out of Space, um, and wow. I just haven't gotten around to watching it. Maybe we could, maybe whatever we do next, we can, um, that can be a part of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would be great. So and you then, have of seen course, Color Out of Space. Yeah. Yes, I watched it the day it hit streaming service. Oh, wow. Okay, okay. I cannot be restrained from, uh, ever since Mandy, uh, you know, I was not a Nicolas Cage um, defender before, but like, yeah, I was like, oh, I'll watch this. Oh, I like Nicolas Cage, and I'm really happy that he, that he uh, um, jumped into a, a Lovecraft adaptation, which is, I've heard is maybe one of the best. Um, maybe the, if not the best, Lovecraft uh, adaptation. I mean, it's hard to beat uh, Reanimator. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> hard to beat Reanimator. But I will, uh, you know. But I'll definitely Good. give it the give it the try. And I just love that. I love the story um, of Color mm-hmm. Out of Space. I'm curious to see how it is transposed in terms of its time, because it is a 19th century horror story. Uh, or it's a story in a 19th century backdrop that seems to make a lot of sense in that uh, mm-hmm. time period. So I'm anxious to see what, uh, uh, what, um, what they have done with it. And perhaps, you know, as I said, uh, hopefully um, that could uh, be um, our, uh, that, that could be featured in, you know, maybe we can do three or even four films. Wow. Well, and in, uh, in August, we've got um, the TV series Lovecraft Country coming out. Right, I've heard about that. Which is so. produced by, uh, in part by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. So I'm expecting it to be at least okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you for always being willing to indulge my feminist body horror. Uh, I'll watch anything you have. Your support on patreon.com slash solidarityhouse ensures that we can deliver this content to the public for free.